Good morning. Today's reading is John chapter 14, verses 12 through 27. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will... I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. He may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him, but you know him, because he abides in you, and you will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a while, the world will no longer see me, But you will see me, because I live in you, and you live also. In the day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine but my Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Well, thank you, Chris. Oh, it was really loud. There we go. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate that scripture reading. <clears throat> now, Chris is one of our youth leaders, and uh, he has a passion for God and loves your teens. He really is a huge asset to our youth ministry, so thank you for doing that scripture reading. Now, who actually stayed up for the whole Patriots game last night? Just want to get an idea of how many are going to be falling asleep this morning? <laughs> I could only make it about to halftime, so I was, I was cooked. Well, good morning. My name is Gary, and I've been given the opportunity to do the second part or or our next passage of John this morning. And it is the second part of what Pastor Tom talked about last Sunday. But before we get into it, if we could, uh, I'd like to ask God to lead the way. So please join me in prayer this morning. Dear God, we thank you for who you are, Lord, and what you do in our lives. And God, what you continue to do every single every single day with your mercies new. Lord, I pray I handle your word accurately and in a way that brings glory and honor to your holy name. 
Lord, I pray the Holy Spirit guides me and speaks through me in a way that you want the congregation to hear these words. I pray that we have your understanding and your insight this morning, and I pray that this service glorifies your holy name. In your name, amen. All right, well, today we are going to touch on the part of the Trinity that's the most difficult for people to understand, the Holy Spirit. And you know, there are a lot of misconceptions and simply put watered-down ideas of who he is and what he does in our life. And so my hope today is that we gain a better understanding of who he is and how he helps us in our everyday life by living through us. I actually also hope it gives us, a, or we gain a more reverent view on his role in our life and gratefulness for that love and intimacy that we now possess because of the Holy Spirit that we've been so graciously given. Now, this message is the second part of Do Not Let Your Heart Be Troubled. And what a fitting thought for our day and age, right? There is so much bad news that we hear daily. There is so much stress and everything else going on in our life that that uh, we, we fear things. There's the fear of criminals, maybe fear of viruses, uh, and so many other things that are going on. So as humans, we have the natural emotional feeling where our hearts are troubled during such situations. But on a personal level, what is it that's troubling your heart this morning? Is it maybe a health concern of, of yours or, or maybe a friend or a family? Maybe it's a loved one who hasn't accepted Christ yet. Maybe it's something you've done in your past and you can't seem to get over it and move on. Maybe it's your finances. You feel like you're drowning, stuck in a rut. Or it's just simply a constant anxious feeling. You know, a troubled heart comes in all different forms, and every single one of us has had a troubled heart before. But there's something amazing when a calming effect comes over us and assures us it's going to be okay. Now, for me, I picture a choppy beach sand when the wave comes up and just kind of smooths it right out. Well, in the passage last week, we saw that Jesus is going to prepare a place for us and all the vivid pictures that come to mind when we think about it. Now, we need to remember Jesus is talking to his disciples on Thursday night of the Passion Week. So he's destined to die on the very next day. And that's why this passage and really the next couple chapters are known as the Farewell Discourse. It takes place immediately after the conclusion of the Last Supper there in Jerusalem. But as we see here, the disciples are confused. They're terrified because they're losing their teacher and their savior. Now, they felt comforted. They felt confident when he's around. But now he's talking about leaving them. And they have no idea what they're going to do without him. But really, this is a great opportunity to see how much they truly trust in him. Now, I don't know if this ever happens to you, but occasionally... I'll come across a certain question or maybe a fact, maybe they're on Jeopardy or some show I'm watching, and I know it's something we talked about in school. But as usual, I wasn't paying close attention to the teacher, right? So I can't seem to remember anything about it. I was probably dreaming about my beauty out in the parking lot. That's right, my 1989 Honda Accord. <laughs> but those are the times I actually wish I paid more attention to the teacher. I'm sure that's how the disciples are feeling here. They probably wish they paid more attention to him, you know, and took out their little mini scrolls and, and took notes with all that he shared with them. But it was more than that. They were experiencing more than just sadness. They were terrified and worried they were going to be lost without him. There was also the terror that came over them knowing the soldiers wanted Jesus dead. And so they probably feared for their own lives as well. 
You remember what you did when you were lost in the olden days? Remember that? You'd have to pull out the old Gazette maps. I still have one of those. And then the hard or the biggest problem came when you had to find yourself on that map. Now we have GPS right on our phones, right? Everything's accessible and it's easy and it feels as if we could never get lost. So the disciples are feeling like their smartphone with GPS is being taken from them. And now they're going back to Gazette maps. In short, they didn't see the value of what was taking place with Jesus's departure. Not yet anyways. Well, in verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. So we're going to pick it up in Jesus' reply back to Philip in verse 12. He continues, Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Recently, we had the message out here on the church sign that said, A God who doesn't love you, would never have come to rescue you. God planned to rescue all of us before the foundations of the world were created. And so Jesus is telling his disciples that he must go to his father so the rescuing can take place. Now, the key to this verse is the one who believes in me, because this really narrows down the ones that are actually qualified for doing the works that he's talking about here. And at first glance, this verse sounds a little strange. How could anyone possibly do greater works than Christ? In fact, it kind of sounds heretical, like we'd be placing mankind above the works of Christ. But that's certainly not the case. And I think we simply need to take this verse literally as Jesus said it Said it here. He, you see, Jesus' ministry here on earth was limited in time and space. If you think about it, he served the Father for three and a half years. And during that span, it was never outside the boundaries of Palestine. Now, the disciples, on the other hand, as we see in the book of Acts, carried out ministry that stretched much further geographically in terms of number of people reached and really long-lasting effect. So the disciples weren't going to do more amazing miracles than Jesus, but rather their outreach impact would be greater. And we actually see this when Peter had 3,000 converts in one sermon. And if you think about it, really, their ministry continues to grow today. We also need to keep in mind that Jesus is telling this statement to his disciples, who some of them will soon be writing the New Testament. He knew the impact they were going to have by the inspiration of God through the Holy Spirit living in their lives. And this is only possible if he goes to his father. Now, we're looking back at the story already written, right? So we need to give the disciples a little bit of a break. They're terrified because they didn't understand how uh, Jesus, what he was saying, and how it could possibly be beneficial that he left. You know, fortunately, we serve a sovereign God. Sovereign God who has that bird's eye view of all of our lives. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He's the, he knows how the story's written because he's the author. And if we think of times right now in our life, we could probably all think of some certain situation that is either terrifying us or stressing us out. And that's why it's important for us to put our full confidence and trust in his name. We need to know that he is our sovereign savior who has our best interests in mind. Well, Jesus then says in verse 13, And whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. There is power in the name of Jesus, right? Amen? <laughs> Not only can it raise a dead man back to life, it makes Satan flee at the sound of his name. 
Jesus Christ has all the authority because he paid the ultimate sacrifice. And now after we read this verse, we need to take a second before we jump into this wish list of prayers. No theology should be built from just a single verse. The disciples, well, Jesus already taught the disciples a lot about prayer. And so this verse is just a final reminder. It's not everything that applies to prayer. And really, many unbelievers and believers, for that matter, fall into that trap of a prosperity gospel or or a genie-like figure. But in my name is not a magical formula that summons our Lord to do what we wish. But rather, it's uh, prayers of all us believers as Christ's representatives doing his business. That's what will be answered. And to ask for anything in his name really means to ask according to his will. Ultimately, the goal of an answered prayer is to bring glory and honor to our Father, and we should have that in mind when we pray. All right. Unfortunately, though, in Jesus' name is often used to justify unbiblical actions. Now, imagine for a minute with me here. uh, A child's playing out in the middle of the street when her dad arrives home from work, and, and he scolds her and says, Honey, come back over here into the yard. And she immediately says, Mommy told me I could play in the street. I'm out here in mommy's name. Of course, the dad knows the mother would never say that. And I know this is a ridiculous illustration. However, it points out how Christians often do strange things and claim they're behaving in Jesus's name. The works we do in Jesus's name should always be balanced and affirmed with scripture. Well, Jesus sums up his reply here to Philip with a simple but straight to the point answer in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. The proof of a believer in Christ is not what they do at church. It's not how much they tithe. It's not even how much they pray and read. Those are all disciplines and activities of a believer. The proof is in our obedience and love for Jesus Christ. Are we loving him with all our heart, soul, and mind? And our faith and love in Christ will motivate obedience. You know, there was an airplane pilot one one day who was mid-flight, and he looked down, and he noticed they were low on fuel. In fact, he realized they were not going to make it to their destination. So he got on the intercom, and he said, the plane is going to crash. Please put on your parachute and get ready to jump. So half of the crew jumped into action, and they put their parachute on, and they were ready to leap. The other half said they believed him, but they stayed in their seat and didn't put a parachute on. Now, Would we say the other half truly believed him? Probably not, right? You see, faith and love result in action. The disciples' love of Christ is revealed in their obedience to his commands. And obviously, as Christians today, it's still the same for us as well. Doesn't mean we're we're always going to make the right decisions and we'll never sin again. But as we grow deeper as believers, we should desire to please our Lord and place our trust in him more and more. And when that growing, as as sanctification takes place in our life, we start viewing his commandments as a blessing and something we strive to obey and follow. We should desire to obey our Father out of love. It shouldn't be an obligation. And his commandments really shouldn't be a heavy burden. We should view them with thankfulness for what he's done in our life. You know, just driving around the streets of Waterville here, you're going to see those street signs and speed limit signs around that kind of uh, help you drive safely on the roads. And that center line in the middle of the road, uh, it, it helps us to tell us when to or not to pass. That is because it has, it knows the possible dangers lying ahead. 
and it is there in place with our best interests in mind. God puts boundaries and warnings in our life to save us from danger and lead us in his path of righteousness. So we obey him because we love him. And really, in our life, the more we obey him, the more we experience his love. And when we obey his commandments, it actually shows that we value those commandments. Now, Jesus is going to shift gears here a little bit, and he's going to reveal the good news of his departure. He says in verse 15, verse 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, so that he may be with you forever. The helper is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. So Jesus comforts the disciples by telling them the helper is another like himself. In other words, there would be no loss. But really, there's actually benefits to the exchange. During Jesus's earthly ministry here, the people, they'd have to travel to where he was to hear his teaching and talk with him. Now, because of the Holy Spirit, they'd be able to talk with him all the time. I use a hunting app on my phone. It's called HuntStand. A lot of people use Onyx, but I'm cheap, so I go with the free app. <laughs> but this app helps you navigate the woods while you're out hunting. And you can drop little pins on certain waypoints. So if I get turned around, I can always find my way back to the truck or, or to my tree stand or back to the trail. All I have to do is follow this little aerial view and to find my way in or out. And really, it's an incredible help. It puts you at ease when you're navigating some really difficult sections of woods. Now, Jesus, he's saying God is going to send the disciples, disciples a helper that will be with them forever. What an incredible gift. In the Old Testament, the spirit went from person to person and could leave at any moment. And we see this with Saul and, and Samson. And even David begged God not to take the spirit from him. However, this time, the Holy Spirit will be given to all believers and will be with us until our very last breath. What an incredible promise and assurance that comes from knowing he's always going to be with us. We never have to worry about him leaving us. Now, this promise should give us a whole new outlook on life. You know, the most devastating thought anyone can have when they're going through a tough time is that you're all alone. It really is. And Jesus is telling the disciples and us that we will never be alone again. That means when life gets tough, we have struggles and trials in our life, we're able to listen to the Holy Spirit and be encouraged to continue on. That right there brings peace to a troubled heart. In fact, some of the most impactful moments I've had in ministry have come from watching a family or a parent stand in a hospital when everything's a mess and it's caving in around them and watch them reflect and remember God's promises in scripture and the Holy Spirit miraculously comforts them. Now, Kent Hughes, he explains it as when a father teaches a child how to ride a bike. You would teach them in a way without suffering too many scrapes and bruises. And I've actually taught a couple of my kids how to ride a bike right, here, right out here in the parking lot. This parking lot's perfect for it. It's huge, it's roomy, and it's a slight little decline. So we would start out with training wheels on the bike, right? And I'd hold them with a steady hand, and they seemed like they were getting the hang of it. But then the day came where we took the training wheels off the bike, and they were shaking, they were so nervous. But I came running alongside them with my hand under the seat, giving them instruction. You've got this. Steady. Relax. Keep your wheels straight. You got it. All right. All right. Crash. 
Well, I'd pick them up and I'd encourage them to try again. The Holy Spirit comes alongside us. He holds us up. He encourages us. And he picks us up when we fall and dusts us off and encourages us to keep on going. So if you're going through a hard time in your life, it's the work of the Holy Spirit to come alongside and comfort and strengthen you. Now, usually when we think of comforting, we tend to think of someone soothing or consoling. And when my kids wake up in the middle of the night, which happens quite often, (laughs) they come down after having a bad dream. Now, I comfort them by wrapping my arms around them. I want them to feel safe. But true comfort also strengthens us to face life bravely and keep on going. It doesn't make it easy for us to give up. So when they come down, I pray with them and I remind them, hey, God is with you and he will help you get through the night tonight. The Holy Spirit is what gives us that courage and hope to persevere through our troubles. Now, the helper's invisible. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. Yet, he's real and active. You know, if you don't have a radio, all those radio waves around us would go completely unnoticed. And those who don't believe in Christ do not have or notice the Holy Spirit. And because we can only see the physical world around us, really the Holy Spirit kind of has this mystical ring to it. But as believers, we know there's a spiritual realm, and, and Jesus even warns us about the spiritual warfare in our lives. And we have to be careful because the Holy Spirit can sometimes be confused with an emotional high or our conscience. And if you listen to worship radio for any length of time, you'll eventually come across a song that talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit, right? (laughs) Which is awesome. The problem is when we only picture someone filled with the Holy Spirit as someone doing amazing things, such as winning hundreds to Christ or, or maybe bringing in large gatherings for worship or maybe at a concert. But the bottom line is we are all filled with the Holy Spirit the moment we accept Christ. And it doesn't mean it's always going to be easy circumstances from that stretch on. We need to be careful that we don't fall into this uh, emotional misconception of being led by the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit in our life could actually simply be making right decisions when it's not easy to do. Or maybe a one-on-one discipling with another person or praying throughout the day. Simply put, being filled with the Holy Spirit is being fully righteous and empty of our flesh. Now, a troubled heart actually stems from the flesh, and it can only be calmed by the work of the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is really the same as controlled by the Word. And if we want the Holy Spirit to work in our life, we need to glorify Christ and make much of God's Holy Word. So, as believers, we're all filled with the Holy Spirit. However, we're the drivers of whether the Holy Spirit can fully engage or not in our lives. And we do this by our actions, thought, and intentions. What do we allow to enter into our minds? Now, when we're sanctified and living righteously, the Holy Spirit's firing on all cylinders, and we're being led and guided by his will. When we allow sin to build up in our life, it's like hitting the the brakes on the Holy Spirit's impact, and we allow the sin and the flesh to pick up steam. We must fully abide in Christ, and he will abide in us. Down the basement at my house, we have uh, this really old sliding glass door. I don't know how old it is, but it is, it's our main entrance, so it gets used and abused a lot. <laughs> and it takes a little TLC to keep it working smoothly. So I actually usually put some grease on that track, you know, just keep it so that it slides with ease. 
and it works great for the first couple weeks. However, it doesn't take long for dirt and debris to get gunked up in that track, right? Then I have to take my little wire brush and scrape it and then vacuum it and regrease it. Now, in our lives, we drop dirt and debris from the flesh every single day, causing more friction for the Holy Spirit to lead us. And if we don't ask for forgiveness and repent of those sins, the Holy Spirit actually gets quieter and quieter and until we're being led by the flesh. And if a person can blatantly disobey God without feeling any guilt, there's a chance they don't have the Holy Spirit living in them or they're so callous they can't hear his voice. This is how the Holy Spirit works in our life. And really, the more we listen to the flesh, the more troubled our hearts become. The peace of God comes from the Holy Spirit. But we need to remember that Jesus is talking to his disciples in this passage. So what does it mean for them in that very moment? The disciples didn't understand how a helper could be better than Jesus right there in person with them. They didn't understand what this all meant. Jesus, he, he guided, he taught and guarded them over the past three years. And now he's going to leave them. And the helper is now going to take the place of their master. But Jesus says the helper is the spirit of truth. This is a significant claim because it ties together the trinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit by the truth of Scripture. Think back to verse 12 where he said, And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. As I mentioned earlier, some of the disciples were given the task of writing the inspired, infallible word of God through the Spirit. We see this in how the Old Testament prophecies and the visions and stories throughout coincide perfectly with the New Testament writers of the gospel, and also in how we receive salvation from our Savior. This is only possible through the Spirit of truth. John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus and the Holy Spirit are both God in the Trinity. See, the Spirit of God dwelt with the disciples in the person of Jesus Christ. Now he would dwell in them. John MacArthur, most of you probably know who John MacArthur is, he explains the Christian life as relational. And when the Holy Spirit comes into the life of a Christian, they now enjoy the purest, most perfect love between God the Father and Jesus the Son, so that we may love the Father with the very love of the Son and love the Son with the very love of the Father. Although this is only a preview of what's to come when we fully receive our glorified bodies and enter into eternity with him. Now, truth runs accurately and precisely with what God the Father instructs in Scripture, what Jesus teaches during his ministry here on earth, and what the Holy Spirit leads the Christian by. The Holy Spirit never leads us to do anything contrary to the word of God. For again, God's word is truth. That is why the Bible is the standard for all mankind to live by, whether you agree with it or not. And those who do not have the Holy Spirit living in them do not have the Bible revealed. And so they don't understand scripture because the Holy Spirit inspired the word and it illumines the word to us so we may understand it. Now, I just want to touch on three things the Holy Spirit does in the life of a believer. Number one, the Holy Spirit unifies the body of Christ. The, Spirit, the Holy Spirit unifies believers by truth. And this is how someone in another country, far, far away from us, can understand and know the will of God in the same way as we do. Because the Holy Spirit dwells in us and allows us to be of the same mind and same spirit. 
Now, as believers, we are all led as one body in tune with God's will and in line with Scripture. Now, this doesn't mean we'll never have disagreements or arguments within our body of Christ, right? We're all still humans. However, the Spirit will lead us in truth, and it will always be the perfect will of God. And now Paul, he's inspired by God. He writes this in Philippians 2. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. We hear this often, but God is not the author of confusion. And he brings purpose and order to the body of Christ. And that is done through the Holy Spirit moving in all of our lives. Number two, the Holy Spirit teaches and guides us. This is back to our text in verse 25. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you while remaining with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of all that I said to you. So the Holy Spirit guides us in the correct path. But it also reveals to us when we're going down the wrong path. It's like taking a good long look in the mirror, seeing what, what is good and encouraging and what's bad and needs improvement. Does anybody remember the old WWJD bracelets? You guys remember those? <laughs> they had all kinds of different colors, different designs on them. They were popular. All kinds of people wore them, and some of them wore them without even knowing what it stood for. <laughs> so they were definitely overpopularized, and it watered down the impact. But in a sense... The Holy Spirit is what answers that question for us. When we ask with a sincere heart, what would Jesus do? Warren Wearsby, he's a great commentator and I enjoy reading his stuff. He tells us this, our experience with God ought to go deeper and deeper and it will as we yield to the spirit of truth and permit him to teach us and guide us. If we love God and obey him, he will manifest his love to us in a deeper way each day. The spirit of truth helps us understand his teaching in a way that motivates us to change and follow him more closely. And that will stir up adoration within us that drives our obedience. So the Holy Spirit recalls to memory what Jesus taught. And we see this in how he puts the teachings of Jesus on the minds of his disciples. And that led them to obedience. Well, number three, the Holy Spirit helps us fulfill our purpose. You know, God, in his grace, gave us the gift of salvation. But he didn't say, okay, you're on your own until I return. No, he also gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit, so we're never alone in this world. And we can do his work until he takes us home. You see, Jesus already won the battle for us. He became that, that perfect sinless lamb for us and, and took that, uh, he died on the cross to pay our sin debt for each one of us. And thank God he didn't stay down, right? He rose again three days later and completely defeated death, reconciling all of us back to our Heavenly Father, our Creator. We were all created to have perfect intimacy with God, and we messed that up. Yet in his grace, he restored us and gave us the Holy Spirit so we can do what we were created for, which is to glorify him. You know, it's easy to see, really. The world is lost as they grope around trying to find the best pleasure high in this world in hopes of being satisfied. But without the helper, they will never be completely satisfied. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen containers so that the extraordinary greatness of the power will be of 
Power will be of God and not from ourselves. You know, flashlights are great. I have quite a few different ones <laughs> that I use for different applications. I have a ton of them, actually. But my the one I use the most is the headlamp. I love that one. That was super convenient, right? Hands-free, goes wherever I turn my head. I love it. I also have one that I got for Christmas from my mother-in-law, and it's magnetic, and it's got a little spotlight that hangs down that you can pivot it any way you want. I also have small ones that are easy to carry. Then I have the big bulky ones that are like 10 million candle watt power. Those are the ones I spot deer out in fields. No, not during hunting season, guys. (laughs) You see, all these flashlights were made for the same purpose. They were made to shine. And without batteries or power, none of them can do what they were created for. All of us, every single one of us in here, were created to glorify God and shine brightly to others. And without the Holy Spirit working in our lives and guiding us, we cannot shine. And therefore, we cannot do what we are created for. So what does this mean for us? As we read that verse, we're jars of clay who possess this treasure. What does it mean for us? Well, Paul says in Ephesians 3, Now all glory to God who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. This means God can perform the impossible through us when we surrender ourselves to his will. We see this all play out really all throughout scripture. All kinds of different names. David, Ruth, Abraham, Esther, and on and on and on. So let me ask you this morning. What in your life today do you need to surrender? What is keeping you from glorifying God? Now, Jesus is going to continue with one of his biggest statements of this whole passage. It's going to be a little clump of uh, verses here that I read. We're going to start off in verse 18. He says this, I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. After a little while, the world no longer is going to see me, but you're going to see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you'll know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. The one who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and will reveal myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what has happened that you are going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will follow my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. The one who does not love me does not follow my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's. Who sent me? Now, right at the beginning of that passage, right at the beginning of verse 18, he said, I will not leave you as orphans. What an incredible statement. And I want to camp on it for just a minute. This means Christ is coming to us. He's bringing us into the Trinity, into the family of God, where the overflow of hope and peace of God abounds for us. It'll never change. I'm adopted into the household of faith. It can never be taken from me. And this is where we all find our identity in Christ, right here. Now, oftentimes we hear adopted by God, and we tend to think we're that cute little child, right? We're all that cute little child. But really, we're all wicked, evil, and dare I say ugly children (laughs) who are fighting against him. We become adopted when we understand how wicked we are and allow him to restore us and save us, right? Save us from our wicked ways. Not because we bring anything to the table. Matt Chandler says this is what the Spirit of God does. 
ransoms us out of being spiritual orphans, pulls us into the household of faith, and gives us a marker of being known, loved, provided for, cared for, and pursued. There's nothing in this world that could comfort and settle our troubled heart than knowing the creator of the universe has adopted us as his own child. Romans 8 says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons and daughters of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. You know, we've spent our entire life as orphans who followed the ways of Satan. We lived in our flesh and we were lost, trying to find hope, peace, and comfort and truth in this world. And as orphans, we searched, but we never found it. Now, when we became adopted into the family of Jesus Christ, we now have hope, peace, comfort, and truth in this world. So we need to ask ourselves, as adopted children of God, are we embracing our new family or are we fighting to be an orphan again? Verse 27, peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled nor fearful. These words in verse 27 are pretty much the same as what he began the chapter with. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's giving us himself and we're going to be with him someday in eternity. And those those are all future promises that we have to look forward to. But we also have the benefits today. The Holy Spirit lives in us and he'll always be reminding us that this is not our home and we are God's children. This is the true remedy for our troubled hearts. And Jesus said, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You know, when I find myself in a difficult situation, I fear what lies ahead. There really is nothing more comforting than being reminded of God's words. It brings that sense of peace and comfort, knowing he's a sovereign God that has a plan for me. So no matter what the outcome is, it is his will. Worship team, if you could, please make your way on down. You know, the Holy Spirit is an incredible gift that should stir up excitement in our life, knowing that he's always with us. And it really is important for us to remain obedient and love him with all our heart, soul, and mind. And now when we do that, we are able to experience that genuine peace that that Jesus Christ laid his life down for and offers to every single one of us freely. Let's close in prayer. Dear God, Lord, thank you for the time this morning that we've been able to study your word together. Lord, I pray it was handled accurately and in a way that pointed to you and glorified your holy name. Lord, I pray we all leave here with a heart of gratefulness for that salvation that you've given us and that gift of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that lives in us and guides us. I pray we submit to your will and obey your word so we can hear the Holy Spirit at all times. Dear God, please keep us abiding in you and your holy word this week. In your precious and holy name, amen.